I think it's really important to keep a log of issues kind of circles back to both a tenant management perspective of wanting to make sure that they don't have a nagging issue that's consistently happening time over time. But also from a budgeting perspective, if I've, you know, it allows me to look back and say, I have sent the HVAC company out there six times to repair this one issue. We really need to tackle it. It is a common saying amongst real estate investors that you make money when you buy, not when you sell. While this catchy phrase has value, it fails to convey how easy it is to lose money through poor property management. Whether you self-manage or hire a professional, it is important to understand how to navigate the common pitfalls and challenges with rental properties without losing your shirt or your mind. That's why you have tuned in to Maximizing Your Property Value, the apartment owner's guide to operating rental properties as a successful business. I'm your host, John Stiles, real estate agent and team leader of the VIP Real Estate Group at Bridge Realty. As a current multifamily investor and former property manager myself, I understand the headaches and difficulties of keeping an investment property from becoming a money pit and time sucker. It takes a solid business plan. It takes tested systems. And it takes key team members to actually find success. So let's take a deep dive and maximize your property value. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Maximizing Your Property Value. I'm so thankful that you have joined us today, and I'm really excited for this episode. I think you're going to get a lot out of it. Uh, today, I am joined by Kara Frank. And Kara, thank you for taking the time to be on the show today. Sure, absolutely. Um, a little bit about Kara. She is a partner in Twin Realty Investment Company. She is an experienced real estate professional who delivers superior personal attention, flexibility, and customization to her clients. Kara combines her work of managing a successful portfolio of, of multifamily as well as commercial properties with strategic partnerships with other industry professionals to provide flexible commercial real estate services. So that's just a, a glimpse about Kara. And Kara, why don't you take a moment to tell the audience a little bit about your history and how you got into real estate investing? Sure. So, um, you know, I like to say I have real estate in my blood. My grandfather um, started this business when he was raising his kids, who are my mom, my aunt, and my uncle. And as a young child, you know, most kids would have spring break and I would be dragged along to the apartment buildings and learning how to empty washing machines and rolling quarters or checking on construction sites. So it's really all I've ever known. And, you know, truly one of the big things I realized when I was in college was that a lot of jobs required sitting in a chair and I couldn't have a job that required sitting in a chair. <laughs> and that was just not going to work for me. So the prospect of the next 50 years of my life sitting in a chair, were just not going to work. So I realized that was when real estate would be a great option to continue along with um, what my family had done, simply because it was a professional career that allowed me to be out and about and running around and doing all kinds of things. Um, and that would fit with my style of not sitting in a chair for too long. So, Yeah, that's great. So, so how did it look like um, being in a family real estate company? Did have a lot of the family members. I'm not sure how big your family is, but are a lot of people yeah. involved in the family business or how does it look? Not really. So um, my grandfather started the business long before I was born in the 60s and 70s and he built these buildings. So he started by, you know, they had no money. And it was, the, you know, they were children of the depression and they had enough money. They borrowed money to build a house and then they'd sell that house and they'd have enough money to build a duplex. And then a threeplex and kind of moved up from there um, as my mom, my aunt and my uncle were young children. Um, eventually, my uncle joined him when he was a little bit older. And then um, my mom did as well. So my mom and my uncle worked in the business for a long time. And that's when I referenced, um, you know, as a kid going to work with my mom and doing all kinds of things and um helping out, you know, sitting on the floor and counting leases and mailing out notices and sticking things under apartment doors. And so that was, you know, as I would go to work with my mom as a young child. And so the two of them, my uncle and my mom really ran the business alongside of my grandfather um, forever. And that was about it until my grandfather got sick about six years ago at the age of 94. I mean, wonderful, great long life. And at that point, um, I came to join the business when he passed away. So, okay. 
it's really just been us. Okay. Yeah, very good. I can concur. Uh, one of the things I've appreciated about real estate is there's always something new every day. And, you know, yeah. you never know what you're going to, what your day is going to be like. So that's absolutely, absolutely. It's kind of the fun part of it. Um, and so what does the family business look like now? Are you, do you have a certain uh, size portfolio? Um, are you s- focused in a certain geographical area? You know, what does it look like? So we have apartment buildings. That's the legacy portfolio, I call them. So those are the buildings that my grandfather built. Um, and he would, he, um, in some regards, he was a merchant builder. So he would build a lot of things for other people, take on investors and sell them off to the investors or build um, and some of it he kept. And then over the years, as the market sort of heated up at the end of his life and in probably the last 10 or 15 years, they sold a lot of the apartments. Um, and But we kept a good portfolio, a nice little portfolio of units. And when I joined the family, my role was really new business development, which meant acquiring properties. My experience um, before I came to join my family was with commercial owners, investors, and developers. And so my background was all on that commercial side. And so when I looked at growing portfolio, I saw it growing in a commercial realm because that was what I knew. That was what I was comfortable with. And frankly, I was really sick of people's toilets overflowing. (laughs) So (laughs) I wanted to grow it in that commercial space. And so that's sort of what we've done since that point. We've purchased uh, four commercial properties to kind of round out our portfolio and, um, it, you know, I think it makes us a little bit more diversified by we have office, industrial, retail and multifamily right now. OK, perfect. Well, hopefully we can get into a little bit of that, you know, the differences between multifamily and other investment property management. Um, and absolutely. Do you also provide third party management services or you just focus on your own portfolio? I do some third party management um, in my past careers, I or my careers, my past jobs, I have done quite a bit of third party management. And so I still do some of that. Um, it's not necessarily a service I advertise a lot, but they do it for kind of friends and family or people who, um, you know, are looking for a little bit of guidance. And often I can kind of help them either reposition or um, manage it for a few years and take some of that burden off. And, you know, certainly it, it can be challenging for an owner who just owns one building to do to manage that property. And so to combine it with a bulk of other properties has some real efficiencies to it. Yeah, for sure. That does. Makes a lot of sense. Um, Well, let's get into what I just referenced a moment ago. What are Mm -hmm. the big differences between managing a multifamily property versus a commercial space? You know, I I say it's all personal. So when you're managing someone's apartment, it's very personal. Um, You know, when the power goes out in their apartment, they're angry and upset and they might lose their refrigerator's worth of food. Um, and if your power goes out in your office building, you go home early. Yeah. So it's really a lot less personal. Um, and that being said, you know, today it's really personal with COVID, but, um, just generally speaking, it's, um, the crises are fewer and they are, but when they happen, they are bigger. So, it's a little bit from the management side, um, just different. You're not dealing with somebody's home. And that's, that's the big difference. I think, um, you know, your, your issues are different. And then, you know, from an accounting perspective, there's a real difference because commercial maintenance and repairs are typically billed back to the tenants. Whereas in multifamily, that's an owner's expense. And so there's also a little bit of a difference in how you kind of strategize and tackle repairs and overall maintenance and capital improvements between multifamily and commercial properties. Okay. So can you give us an example of a different way that you would tackle that on commercial property? Sure. So, I mean, generally with a commercial property, you will create a budget for the year. So we, in the fall, we create a budget and we look at, you know, what were our operating expenses last year? What do we think things are going to increase? What projects can we get in to the budget for this upcoming year? Are we going to resurface the parking lot or do we need to replace some rooftop units or, um, you know, what needs to be done? And we can kind of fit that, we can kind of back it into the budget and make sure that we're not increasing operating expenses too much, but um, make sure that we hit those projects. And then from a multifamily perspective, you're looking at everything hits your bottom line. Um, so tenants do not reimburse you from for any of that, whether it's you know a general maintenance expense or a capital improvement. So you're just thinking about it different. I think that's 
you know, why you sometimes see some more um, deferred maintenance on multifamily properties simply because that's all owner's expenses. So depending on their outlook, if they want to keep their distributions higher, um, you know, they may just forego that roof and deal with the light repairs because they don't want it to come out of their pocket versus um, on a commercial property where that would be something you could build back to a tenant. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I can see how that'll change the, you know, the actions of the owner. Um, mm -hmm. cause they, you know, it's all about that bottom line. Scar exactly. can be. So, yep. well, very good. Well, listen, one of the things or the main thing that I want to focus on in this show is how we can use business systems and processes to improve the management of our property and really to improve the values of our property. Um, so, you know, that comes often down to a business plan. What are we planning to do? And, and you, it's interesting, you just referenced um, at the beginning of a year, you know, a commercial property, you're planning out what the budget will be. And I find that a lot of times with multifamily properties, people don't plan out their budget. They just, it, whatever happens is going to happen and it's more yep. reactionary. So that's, that's helpful to have the, the offensive, if you will, of uh, planning. So anyways, getting back to my question here, uh, what would you say are some of the most important things for business planning as it relates to investment properties? I would always recommend doing a budget. I think it's a really helpful exercise. Um, I think that it helps you set your price of your units and ensure that you're beating inflation and that you're not losing money. It helps you decide if you need to um, fight your property taxes or you need to rein in your expenses. For example, this year, when I was doing my multifamily ones, I realized that our trash bills had been increasing and increasing. And it's one of those things you don't notice on the average bills. But when you're looking at it over a year over year, it's an opportunity to really see that that had crept up and up. And so we needed to bid out our trash service and find a vendor that could provide us um, with a better price. And so I think that um, that budget time is really a great time to look back at the year holistically. And you don't need to do some crazy detailed budget, but I think that you um, owe it to yourself as the investor to really look at each of those line item expenses and look forward and kind of um, look at the balance between what is your income and what is your expense and how is that meeting your goals? And you may also realize that a property isn't meeting your goals. You may realize that at the end of the day, your returns are lower than you thought they were. And maybe that's not, maybe it's time to sell or maybe it's time to, you know, refinance or increase your rents or play around with it. But I think a budget is really the only way to look at that building and ensure that it's performing. Um, and then we do, we turn our budgets into a cash flow. So we continue to use it every month and we watch it every month. Um, and to me, that's, that's my track record. That's my, you know, my way of accounting for um, our expenses. So both commercial and multifamily, I think they're incredibly important from a commercial standpoint. I think we owe it to our tenants to be really prudent about our budgets and making sure we're careful. Um, and same thing with those expenses, just because they're a tenant expense does not mean I'm any less cautious of them. Um, so same at the same time, it's a really great opportunity to say, oh my gosh, our landscaping bills are way too high for this property type. Let's look at, let's look at what we can do to save some money there. So uh, to me, that's the best time to really look at a full year's history and then look forward about what can you do to change. Okay. Yeah, that makes a, a lot of sense. And, you know, I think having a budget is something that a lot of people aren't excited about. Um <laughs> But uh, getting into some of the maybe nitty gritty details of what type of software do you prefer to use when you create your budget? So we actually just use Excel. Um, and I come from a big company. I um, used to work for a larger company and we had 93 buildings at the time and we used Excel. So um, I think it's, a, and you can find budgets online. I mean, really easy, simple property budgets. And we run them in Excel. And then we use Appfolio for our accounting software. And we rely pretty heavily on that. But um, we really do the budgeting in Excel and run a cash flow in Excel as well. And that is so easy to play around with. I mean, it's just foolproof. And so I think it's, honestly, I think it's great <laughs> for the size we are for this, you know, even for much larger companies, a lot of people just love using Excel. And I think it's perfect. Yeah. 
no, Excel is very powerful. I enjoy mm-hmm. uh, working with it myself, it, even though, you know, it's not as fancy as some of these, you know, uh, softwares that have nice graphics and stuff, but there's so much you can do with Excel. So, Yep. Yep. And it's a system that you continue to use. A budget's only as good as it is used and as you're going to continue to use it. So if it's in an overly complicated form in some complicated accounting system that you're never going to touch again, and you figured out how to use it enough to make this budget, and then you run away from it for 12 months, then it's not worthwhile to do it. You know? So that's why I say like, make it as simple as possible. Make it something you can use and play around with. Say, okay, I got my trash service down 15%. What does that do? Now plug in your numbers and play around with it. Um, and having it in a more simple system like that, I think allows you to continue to reflect back on it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That makes a lot of sense. If something's too complicated, you're not going to be using it. So not gonna use that. make sure you understand how to use the system that you're working on. Very good. Exactly. Um, are there certain aspects of the budget or line items that you think some people might be overlooking or just not taking into account? You know, I mean, maintenance is one, certainly, that in older properties, um, I have seen pro formas and that I look at it and I'm like, oh, let's think about like the plumbing is you're going to constantly need to be cleaning out your drains. It's just a little $150 bills here and there that I think people don't maybe um, they understate what those are really going to be. It's the handyman type repairs, the drippy faucets and, you know, nothing huge, but those little things add up. Um, HVAC is obviously another big one, both from the cost to operate it and potential savings for, um, some of the more energy efficient systems. That's something that we've looked at a lot lately. Um, so, you know, I think that, I think that I would say the one biggest driver is that general repair and maintenance items that people will go into it thinking, Oh yes, I, I am handier than average. I'm sure I can figure out how to tighten the nuts and make this faucet stop tripping. Um, but those come up all the time, all the time. And so you need to have a skilled handyman in your back pocket or somebody that can um, really do that work for you. And you need to account for what that maintenance cost is going to be. Yep. Yeah, it is those small uh, repairs that can add up if you're not looking out for them. So make sure you're budgeting for them. It's really great. Um, Well, let's pivot a little bit and talk a little bit more about maintenance and how do you keep those Mm -hmm. uh, costs under control? Um, You know, there's things that you can do during renovations to improve improve the longevity of the products you put in your property um, so that you're Mm -hmm. not... Uh, having as much maintenance do have you been able to identify anything like that at your properties you know hvac is one of them obviously it's very expensive to have the companies come out and do comfort adjustments comfort adjustments are probably my most frequent call um i'm too hot i'm too cold you cannot make people happy um especially in office buildings you know Susie likes that when it's 75 and John wants it to be 63 and nobody is happy. (laughs) So comfort adjustments can be very pricey when you're constantly moving around ductwork. Um, you, you know, everybody really needs something to be different. And further with aging HVAC equipment, that's something that adds up a lot too. We have a property, um, that each unit is their townhouse units and each one has its own boiler system. And we were finding that, you know, we had the, maintenance company out there almost weekly replacing belts and adjusting things. And, you know, I never got a bill that was less than $500. Hmm. And so at that point, it's um, really an opportunity to pause and say, I'm not spending $500 a pop every time we need to create a plan for replacement and figure that out. Um, And so that kind of circles back to the budget piece of saying, okay, next year I'm going to replace two of these boiler units and I'm going to do, I always like to have a heat map of my HVAC equipment so I know what's in the best condition and what's in the worst. And obviously it can always surprise you. Um, But generally I like to know, okay, if I have enough money to replace one boiler, I know that the one in that unit um, is oldest and it's had those issues and we keep spending money for somebody to come out and repair it. So that's going to be the one I hit Um, or something like that. But, but those can really add up over time. Yeah, that makes sense. Did you say that you have a heat map of your different yeah, um, assets in the property? 
Yeah. So um, for commercial properties, this is so dorky, but <laughs> I like to have a roof map that shows the roof where each unit is. And typically they're numbered. So, you know, the number of the units and then alongside of it, um, the serial number and the condition. So usually if you have a good HVAC company, they're happy to provide that for you. It's helpful for them as well. So I'll ask them to climb up in the roof and give me a map. And, you know, that way I know what's under warranty, what's not under warranty. How old is it? What is it? What's the tonnage of that unit? Is it a heat cool? Is it a heat only? But really just throw it in a spreadsheet, again, an Excel spreadsheet, and then you know exactly what you have. And if you do come to the point of wanting to sell, it's really valuable information. They're going to ask you um, for your HVAC information and you can provide them a spreadsheet. And now you look like a really educated seller that knows what you're doing. Um, as opposed to saying like, oh, let me pull out my invoice from 1974 when I replaced this unit. You look a little bit more legitimate um, and like you've been professionally managing the property. Yep. Yeah, for sure. And I, I, I like to, to mention that when um, talking to sellers about or owners about selling, you know, the more organized you can be and presenting yep. your information to potential buyers, the more convinced that they're going to be that this is a great asset. It's been well taken care of. It's, it's exactly. organized and um, they can be confident in the information that you're providing. Otherwise, you know, most buyers are skeptical, you know, <laughs> um, they yep. trust, but definitely verify um, when they're looking at properties. So yeah, that's right. a great totally strategy. And I literally color code them. <laughs> so red is you need to replace yellow is we should think about this in the next five to 10 and green is great condition doing really well. So it's just a really easy way to just color code them, have all the information in one spot and you're good to go. Yep. Oh, that's perfect. And it obviously that um, is combining the, you know, the details, the, the raw information with those of us who are visual learners and uh, exactly. <laughs> yes. Exactly. So I, I like that tool. a lot. Wonderful. Okay. I want to talk a little bit more about the, uh, management systems that you have inside the company in terms of staffing, like um, how how large is your company in terms of the number of employees or independent contractors? So we have on-site uh, caretakers at all of our multifamily properties. Um, and this is a system that we think works really well, um, both from a security and general maintenance perspective. Um, we think it's really helpful to have somebody there as our eyes and ears. Obviously we cannot be there every day, 24 seven and nor can they, but, um, it's, it's helpful. I think it's helpful for our tenants to know that somebody is there on site looking out for them. And then at our commercial properties, we use exclusively outside vendors. Um, so we don't employ anybody for any of those properties. It's all third party maintenance. Um, we use some local companies for that. Okay. For the multifamily, is there a certain like minimum uh, building size that makes sense to have on-site caretakers? You know, our smallest building is six units, and we do have an on-site caretaker there. Um, so for us, that works. I think even if you, um, you know, I, I suppose anything bigger than a duplex or a threeplex, I think really makes a lot of sense. And that, you know, the compensation for us varies significantly based on the number of units and the responsibilities. So, um, you know, if you have a six unit building, you can offer somebody half off rent and then give them some duties. They're cutting the grass and they're uh, collecting rent and they are doing the general cleaning in the common areas and things like that. So I think that, um, you know, it's a, it's a really mutually beneficial thing to have somebody on site, not to say that there are not some challenges, but I think that it's really nice to have a person there at all times, particularly in emergencies. Yeah. Yeah. I like that a lot. Um, especially if you have smaller properties, you know, basically scattered sites is what it's referred yeah. to sometimes. Um, it can be challenging to, to get around to visiting the property enough, um, depending on how far the way they are from your main office or where you live. Um, right. So definitely having somebody on site who is taking some ownership of this is their responsibility and they need to take care of things. So how do you set things up in terms of making sure those on-site caretakers are, are doing what they're supposed to be doing? 
that's something we're working on right now. <laughs> so, um, you know, the responsibilities at our properties vary somewhat from building to building. And some of it has to do with, um, you know, the, the amenities of the property or, you know, if they have a lot of grass to cut or they don't. So, um, you know, the, those responsibilities do vary. And we've also tailored them somewhat to the abilities of the particular caretaker. So in some buildings, we have caretakers who are significantly more handy and they can do a lot more and therefore their compensation is more. And also um, they have more responsibilities. In other properties, we have people who are more, maybe they're stronger in leasing. And so they do all the leasing there as well as kind of the light maintenance. So they'll do landscaping and snow removal and, you know, checking on, we always say they need to be the first eyes and ears when somebody calls with a work order. So whether they know how to fix it or not, I want them to get their eyes on it and look at it. I think it makes a tenant feel a lot better um, just to know that somebody came right over and looked at it. And here's my drippy faucet. I see your faucet's dripping. I will get somebody to fix it. I don't know how to do it, but somebody will. So it's just that interaction of making them feel heard that I think is really valuable in terms of making sure that they do meet those expectations. Um, again, that's something that we're working on right now, just trying to create a little bit more formulaic HR practice in terms of reviews and making sure that they are doing those items. It's not something we've been great about in the past, but we're working to improve it. And we have fantastic employees who are so great, but, um, you know, everybody needs systems. So yeah. just trying to create a system around that. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, I love what you said about uh, having a quick response to the tenant's concerns because that, that can be one of the, yeah. the biggest complaints that, you know, the tenant reports an issue and, you know, nobody acknowledges that there was a problem. Nobody responds in a timely fashion. But if you have somebody on site, um, you know, putting eyes on the on the issue. And, and that's the other thing. You know, sometimes the tenant might report one concern, but it's difficult to tell over the phone. Well, do you mm -hmm. send the plumber or do you send the handyman or the electrician? Exactly. Need some triage. Yep. So wonderful. That's perfect. Um, Absolutely. Yes. Well, and, and what does it look like on the office side of your company? Uh, do you have you separate things like into a bookkeeper and um, maintenance call center or like how do you split those type of things up? So we do have a bookkeeper who works offsite um, and assists with accounting practices and um, budgeting and invoice payment and all of that. Um, but in terms of, you know, work order management, we're at a point where, um, we, you know, I can manage it all. It's not that big of a deal. We use Appfolio as our accounting software and our tenants may also submit their work orders through there. Often they do. And sometimes they come in via email too. Um, we work with a few different outside maintenance companies and I have one dedicated tech through them. So if, I get a call from XYZ business that they're, you know, that their roof is leaking. I know who to call and I call them and put in that work order. I try to track it all in that folio. I think that, or whatever accounting stuff or tenant management software you use. Um, I think it's really important to keep a log of issues kind of circles back to both the tenant management perspective of wanting to make sure that they don't have a nagging issue that's consistently happening time over time. But also from a budgeting perspective, if I've, you know, it allows me to look back and say, I have sent the HVAC company out there six times to repair this one issue. We really need to tackle it. Um, conversely, sometimes you'll get a call from a tenant that says, this is the 16th time I've called you for this drippy faucet. You still haven't fixed it. And again, I have a log and I can say, well, actually you called me once. It might feel like 16 times, but it was one time and it was on June 5th and we sent this person out and we thought that was a fix. It clearly wasn't. So we'll send somebody else out, but it really allows us to track that information and then provide them with helpful feedback. So I try to circle back and track everything in there and then we have a log. Perfect. Yep. So that quality assurance of, uh, making sure the tense concerns are addressed. And then if they have complaints, you can follow up with some facts and figures. <laughs> exactly. It's exactly what it is. Wonderful. Um, 
And so you've mentioned Appfolio is is your software that you're using. Has that been the software you've used from the beginning, or how did you land on that? What features do you like or or think that are great about it? So um, I mentioned that I worked with my uncle for about five or six years, um, and he he is a self proclaimed you know technology novice, and so we were not at the point of having an online accounting system, which was totally fine and had worked great for six years, but I felt that it was time to kind of move to the next level and put us on a more computerized system. One of the big pieces that we were hearing from our tenants was that they wanted a method to be able to pay their rent online. And that seems to be a really hot button item for people. They don't carry checks anymore and they want to be able to either pay via e-check or credit card. And so that was honestly, if I were to say the one thing that pushed us to do it, it was that ability to pay their rent online. And that has been the single biggest benefit of moving to an online or a computerized accounting system as well. So I did a bunch of research. And for us, I needed a system that could flex back and forth between multifamily and commercial properties. And this is a system that I found that worked well. There's great systems out there and the costs are going down. um, And there's so many great choices. So this is one that worked really well for us personally, but you know, I would do some research and look into what else is out there. Yep. Depending on your portfolio. Right. Right. Yeah. I know for my uh, rental properties, I just recently started with a software for the purpose of allowing online payments, um, especially in the pandemic issues, stay at home issues that we're having right now. Um, I just didn't want tenants to have to worry about getting stamps or going to the office or anything like that. Right. We would drive around and pick up checks and, you know, we would pick up one check, one rent check in Richfield and then have to go to St. Louis park and get one partial payment. And it was just not efficient in any way. Mm-hmm. So um, that has streamlined our rent collection remarkably. It's, it's been such a help, especially during the pandemic. Not to mention, I didn't really want to touch all the dirty checks given what was going on in the world. So. Right. It's been really, really helpful. Right, wonderful. Well, I'm going to switch the or shift the conversation a little bit here. Um, although we have covered this a little bit as already, but um, I believe that having a, a, a very valuable property is rooted in having great customer service. Um, not everybody realizes it, but you know, having a rental property is like having a business. And when you have a business, you need customers, and you need happy customers. So mm-hmm. um, what is your philosophy related to customer service and how do you communicate that to your vendors, to your on-site caretakers or anybody else that's having interaction with the customers? You know, I think, as I mentioned before, that quick response time is number one. Um, you know, we can't always solve the problems quickly. It depends, depending on what it is, it may take some time. We might have to do some research or figure out just the right vendor um, water is tricky. Sometimes we can't find the source of the leak and, you know, we're going to do everything we can, but it does take time. But I think that there is no substitute for communication and being present and truly looking somebody face to face and saying, like I said, I see you, I hear you, I care about this issue and I will find a solution. I think that goes a long way. So, um, I always tell my caretakers to do that, to knock on the door and say, Let me see the problem. Have compassion. Even if you don't feel the compassion, just show compassion because it's their home or it's their office and it's a big deal to them and it's frustrating to them and they don't want to deal with this. Calling you is not something they want to do. So just get your eyes on it, see it, um, and then take care of it to the best of your abilities. I also strongly recommend a short list of amazing vendors that you really like and trust So we have vendors that we've worked with, some of which for 30 plus years, and they know us, they know our buildings, they know a lot of our tenants. And I think that really helps. Um, So I'm not opening the phone book and looking for a plumber. Instead, I'm calling Joe, my favorite plumber who knows my dog's name, and making sure he goes out there, takes care of my tenants, and is respectful at the same time. So I always am very cognizant of the fact that we are asking these people to go into somebody's home. And that can be unnerving. And so I wouldn't want to send somebody that I wouldn't allow in my own home. So 
having a really tight list of vendors that you know you're going to call that it provides you quality work and quality pricing is really helpful. So, and it doesn't need to be a long list. It needs to be a short, great list of good vendors kind of knocking off the main things, general maintenance and HVAC and plumbing, electrical, um, all of those items. Yeah. Well, that makes a lot of sense because you don't want an emergency to come up and then having to, like you said, go through the phone book or uh, search Google and just think, well, you know, I I hope this person is as good as they appear to be online. Um, Exactly. For somebody that maybe doesn't have an established relationship with a contractor, of any type, uh, what's a good way to to test it out and make sure um, that it is somebody that they should have on their shortlist? I would first, I always go back to the industry organization. So depending on what your property type is, if it's multifamily, MHA, the Minnesota Multi-Housing Association, is an incredible organization. They have on their website a vendor list, and it shows all the member vendors. Um, and those are people who work in other multifamily properties who know what's going on. They are quality. They have insurance, which is really key. Every vendor needs to have insurance, workman's comp insurance. Um, And so that's a great place to find a list of names. IRAM, the Institute of Real Estate Management, is the similar organization for commercial properties. They also have a member guide right on their website. You can look through it. But I highly recommend joining whichever is your most applicable industry organization, both from the networking and education opportunities, but also from a vendor standpoint, they have great vendor fairs where you can walk around and say, I am looking for an HVAC company. I am going to talk to five of them, you know, and see, you know, what they recommend. And if I connect with them or uh, whatever that may be, but I would start with those industry organizations. Alternatively, you can talk to other property owners. You know, there has been a time when I have a really good friend who owns properties as well, and my electrician was retiring. And so I called him and I said, I'm like so sad that John, my electrician, is retiring. Who do you have? Um, And so we can kind of share vendors back and forth that way. Perfect. Yeah, taking advantage. uh, I myself am part of the Minnesota Multi-Housing Association. Um, They do have a lot of vendors that they attract to the organization. Those people are eager to to get business and you know like you said they have the different qualifications necessary Mm -hmm. so um shifting back a little bit to the customer service topic i got off topic a little bit there but um um and so you've mentioned a few times about having that personal one-on-one interaction which i think is really great are there any other Mm -hmm. things that you do proactively to reach out to tenants or possibly you know kind of create a sense of community at the property and, you know, I don't know what, if maybe community events or anything like that, that's proactive. You know, in terms of community events, our buildings don't have big amenity spaces. And so we don't necessarily host happy hours or things like that, but we do always participate in national night out. Um, And that's a big one for us. I think that um, obviously being, you know, crime-free properties are important to us. And also having a great relationship with the local police departments. We're involved in rental property groups in all of the communities that we own property. And so having a national night out party and usually, you know, like we'll provide burgers and hot dogs and the caretakers bring a grill. And um, it's a nice opportunity for the tenants to get together and meet each other and talk, but also for them to understand that when we, you know, what we prioritize is their safety. That's something of utmost importance to us. So that's the one big thing that we do. Um, you know, otherwise, I always provide them with my phone number. We're not so big that I'm not, I can't give out my cell phone number. Uh, everyone knows how to get a hold of me if they need to. I think they trust their caretakers and they have a great relationship with them. But if something happens or they're not comfortable or they're not getting the service they need, they can get a hold of me. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Um, well, one of the other things I want to talk about here is any challenges with being a real estate investor. Obviously, there's many benefits. You know, there's uh, like we talked about at the very beginning, having an interactive day that's always uh, exciting and different. Um, <laughs> Not sitting in a chair. Yeah. Except right now. Yeah. <laughs> I had to sit you down for a moment. Um, that's right. That's right. Or, um, 
you know, obviously there's the income potential, but what are some of the mm -hmm. challenges or something that was unexpected and maybe how did you learn from that? Well, COVID is certainly unexpected. <laughs> um, you know, I think that it's, it's the day to day kind of things you don't expect. Um, we had touched on this a little bit, but you know, every day being so different, you just never know. I had years ago, I had um, was walking a property and all of a sudden through the sidewalk, there was water bubbling. Hmm. And then it was like a spout. And literally there was a geyser in the sidewalk. And I happened to be there inspecting the property at that time. And it was a water main break underground. Um, and it was a huge deal and it flooded half the building. And it, it, it was, you know, it was very frustrating for our tenants. It was frustrating for me. It took a long time to fix the problem. So it can be those items. I have never since knock on wood dealt with a major water main break. Um, but you kind of are always preparing yourself for what is next and trying to maintain the properties to avoid a calamity like that. God forbid a fire, you know, we're upgrading our fire systems in one of our buildings right now. Um, and just trying to look from my perspective, I'm always a health and safety focused person. And so I, you know, try and look at what are the potential health and safety risks. Um, and those are, those are things that you can't predict. And that's the nerve wracking piece. You don't know, you know, and, and from a broader perspective, you know, you don't know what interest rates are going to do and you don't know um, what leasing is going to do or what construction around you, how that will impact your property. Um, but those types of things I have no control over. So those are, to me, worries not worth having because I cannot control if somebody builds a building across the street from me. But I can control what happens inside of my building and how I treat my tenants and what we do from a maintenance perspective. Those are things I can control. Okay. Yeah, that's that's great. We we all need to realize that aside from property investing, that there's things that we can control and, and others that we can't. Right. Um, so there's, you mentioned COVID. Um, are there any things that you have learned or taken away from from this pandemic situation anything that you're going to change going forward because of this that's a good question um you know i don't know i think um as we talked about i'm really glad that we have the online systems in place um it did allow tenants to pay their rent online to submit a work order online normally we would have them go down to the caretaker's apartment and right on their door talk to them that's not something people want to do right now so um, it may be thankful that we have those systems in place and want to encourage others to do that as well. Um, you know, in terms of kind of preparing for things, obviously we've stepped up our cleaning game. Um, I think one of the interesting things from a commercial perspective is that people often put a lot of weight into the credit of a tenant and the bigger the credit of the tenant, the better. So you want to have the gigantic companies. You want to have Caribou Coffee, not Joe's Coffee Shop. And that is typically on paper considered a real benefit. I think in the world of COVID, that maybe has turned it on its head a little bit. So my personal perspective is that the Joe coffee shop of the world, they really care about that location. This is their lifeblood. This is the business they want to pass on to their children. And it's really impactful to them. And they are working their tail off to make sure that they can pay their rent or their operating expenses. They're communicating with me. Um, and that is not the case for the nationals. They are sending letters just saying, I want to let you know, I don't plan to pay my rent for three months. Mm. I'll see you later. <laughs> so I think that that is one thing I never would have expected. I expected that the bigger the credit, the better, the more secure they are. Um, and I think that that's, this is really going to potentially change people's perspective on the value of the credit of a tenant. Wow. That's surprising, and but yeah, there's unprecedented times, of course. Exactly, exactly. So who knows? I mean, there's just is one one thing that I've noticed is the the bigger the tenant, the the bigger their legal fees are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess. Um, well, one of the things I want to cover in kind of as we get to the end of our conversation here is how do we term determine the right time to sell one of our investment properties. Um, being in the Midwest, you know, a lot of us have the mindset that we're going to buy a property and keep it forever and maybe pass it down to the heirs. And it's, I think it's interesting having, uh, having you on this show and, and mm -hmm. asking this question because you've kind of been on the receiving end of that to some extent where 
you you got into a family business that's already established. But not everybody will be able to pass it on to the heirs. Not sometimes the children or the the relatives won't want to take it on. Um, right. So how do we determine when is the right time to sell, and how do we set it up maybe so that it is something good to to easily pass on? So kind of two different questions there, but I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I think it's all market and your goals. So everybody's goals are different. Uh, in my family, it was something really important that the properties, to the extent that they could, they stayed in the family. It was a value of my grandfather's and my uncle and my mom. That was that was important to them. Um, and that was, it, it happened to work out because I had a strong interest in real estate and I had also cut my teeth in other companies. And so I had the experience. I wasn't showing up totally green, not knowing what I was doing. I could come into it with some outside experience, um, which I would highly recommend to anybody. If they're thinking of passing property on, I would strongly recommend um, that the person does not start with you. I bring a lot of my experience from systems that I've seen that work well in other companies. And I don't know how I would have done that if I didn't have that experience. So especially for small businesses, which ours certainly is, you know, we needed some influences from other companies. And that was helpful to me. So I would say that if you think about passing it on, I would make sure that that person has outside experience. In terms of the right time to sell, you know, that's all market. Um, and again, goals. So we did take advantage of selling some of our properties years ago. And they were properties where, you know, different things were happening. One was um, along a light rail line. And so we knew that that was going to be a really hot area. And that was a moment. That was a moment where we saw this was the, really the right time to do this. Um, you know, we've sold because it was a great development opportunity. So we've had a number of our properties sold to developers. And that's a, you know, sometimes a once in a lifetime opportunity to say, I'll pay you three times tax value because I want this land so much. And that's not something that you would normally see. So it's opportunity and it's goals and your plan. And, and some people will say, I'm a sitting duck. Like you, there's no amount of money that you could pay me that would sell this property. And there's other people that'll say everything is for sale every day. Everything I own is for sale. Yeah. So it really depends on you. Um, if it's a family business, what the family feels for our business, we always say family is first and we will never, make a decision that would put somebody in a compromising position or make them feel bad. We think that our family is far more important than our business. And so, you know, even on our website, you can see like, it's all family first. That's what we care about. So we wouldn't do something that didn't work for everyone. Hmm. That's great. Um, and you talked about depending on your goals, um, what, how would you define the goals for your company? Obviously, you just talked about family. Uh, how does that work out practically? What does the goals look like for your company, say, for the next five to 10 years? For us, our goal is growth. We want to continue to grow, um, likely in the commercial space, although COVID may make some you know, opportunities available that were not otherwise. So, you know, I think that we would consider doing some multifamily, but, but we're, we're not really in a position to sell right now. That being said, everything's on the market, like I said, <laughs> but nothing is on the market. You know, we really, we really don't want to sell. Um, we try really hard not to feel emotions about real estate. So that is something that some people struggle with. You know, this is something my grandfather built. I remember playing in this yard when I was five years old and gosh, I can't imagine selling that. That being said, it's a building. It's not a person. It's always replaceable and it's a source of income. So I would always encourage people not to get too emotionally invested in their property and look at it on paper. Do that exercise of creating a budget. Look at how it performed last year. If it didn't meet your expectations or you realize I could get a CD and make that much money, you know, then <laughs> there's a great time to sell. You know, we have um, one property that I'm constantly watching because it doesn't necessarily meet our goal. But it doesn't not, you know, I, I always say like kind of back to that heat map, it's probably the one that I would be most likely to sell, but I don't have a real reason to, it just um, isn't quite up to what I would like it to be. And if there was another opportunity where I could 1031 
and got a great deal, you know, maybe that would be the one. Um, but kind of always thinking about it in terms of what your future is, what your timeline is. Maybe something is really management heavy. I see people sell a lot of times for that reason. I think that they get into it thinking, how hard could it be? It's a little office building in Shakopee. Like that, you know, that's not going to be a big deal. And then they don't realize that Susie calls them once a day because she's a little too warm. So management reasons are often um, a reason to sell, Hmm. I think. Yep. That makes a lot of sense. There's a lot of considerations there, but it's great going back to your original goals and knowing why you're in the business to begin with. Exactly. Very good. And I I like what you said earlier about um, if you're going to pass it on to heirs or to children or anybody, make sure that they have outside experience. I think a lot of times uh, I myself, I have four kids and I think about, Mm -hmm. you know, I need to start training them into different aspects of management, although they're a little yep. bit young right now, but eventually. <laughs> <laughs> but but there's a lot of value if they were to be trained elsewhere and what uh, skills could they bring back to me, you know, because I obviously don't have it all together. Um, there's a lot of things that I could learn and improve on. And so if, uh, if the children uh, or whoever can uh, go out elsewhere to get their training and then bring that training back into the business. I think there's a lot of value there. Absolutely. I think that's really important. And it's good for their personal development, too. I think that by the time I came to work for my family business, I was really grateful for the opportunity. And I was, um, you know, I, I had seen that the grass wasn't necessarily greener on the other side. I You sometimes see kids that get into the family business and maybe they feel entitled or they get a little itchy and wonder, you know, what it could be like elsewhere. Um, I had, you know, I worked for a few different employers who I love and think the world of, and I'm still very close with, but I'm really happy I am where I am. And I bring those relationships and those experiences with me. Um, but I don't think I would be as qualified if I had just started here at all. Yep. Makes a lot of sense. I like that. Um, well, listen, uh, our conversation is been going on here. We need to wrap it up. Um, I have some closing questions, but before I get to those, any final things from you regarding business systems and processes that we maybe haven't covered yet so in our conversation? No, I think generally, um, like I said, you know, we're a work in progress and everybody is a work in progress. So, you know, if you're kind of listening to this podcast and you're taking notes and thinking, okay, budget, I need online accounting system. I need HR practices. Like, Bite off one thing, you know, don't try to bite off everything. Bite off one thing and try to do it well. Um, I've been working really hard to put in some of these processes over the last couple of years, but it's taken me a couple of years. And I think pick one thing that could have strong impact on your business now. Research it, work on it. I'm always available if you provide my contact information to chat with anybody too and provide guidance. But, um, you know, bite things off one at a time and then You know, in terms of housing, the one thing that I always say, if you're to have one practice or process that's most important, it's fair housing. And so we really pride ourselves on being very careful and cautious of fair housing and wanting to be incredibly um, equal and fair to all. And so not just because you can get yourself into legal trouble, but because it's the right thing to do. And because we think that everybody um, deserves a right to have a home and a safe home. So I would get yourself educated on fair housing and look to multi-housing association. They have some awesome classes. Um, There's some other resources too, but I would always refer back to MHA, but fair housing would be number one. So if you don't know what fair housing is in Minnesota, learn about it now before you buy a building and then look at some of the other things. So that would, that's my convoluted answer, but fair housing number one, and then kind of get those processes in place as you go. Um, And with, those items that meet your goals. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very important point there. Um, that's where a lot of landlords get themselves into trouble. If they're just not familiar with the laws and they're kind of just doing the way things that they think are right, but it's not, not the way things are done. So exactly. Yeah. Very good. Well, I appreciate all of your insights in that. Um, like I said, I have a couple of closing questions here. And number one is why do you get up in the morning? Well, like you, I have two little kids, so they wake me up um, earlier than I want to. <laughs> so there's that. 
But, you know, truly, I feel, you know, I love the quote, to whom much is given, much is expected. And I have so much respect for my grandfather who built this company and my uncle who stood alongside of him and ran it for so long. And my mom who managed a household and a job and other businesses and all of that. And I feel every day the weight of what they have done and what the opportunity that they've created for me. And I feel that I want to continue that on for my children if they choose to go into real estate. Um, but my son wants to be a firefighter superhero. So we'll see if that yeah. happens. Um, you know, but I really think that uh, family business can be great. And I want to, you know, buck the trend of saying family business doesn't work. It can work. Um, but you need to have compassion and come to work every day and realize what your goals are and why you're there. And my, I am here so that I can have a great life for my children and I can get home and have dinner with them every single day. And that is what's most important to me. Great. Yeah, obviously I've, you've mentioned that a few times with family first. So appreciate that. That's great. Yep. Um, so my second question here is what event or person in your past has been monumental in creating who you are today? I mean, I already mentioned him, definitely my grandpa, um, who built this company. He's the first one that comes to mind in terms of business. Um, you know, he was a child and my grandmother as well. She, you know, I guess maybe actually I'm going to change that answer to her. So, you know, being a woman who runs this business, I, I never thought I couldn't. And I was raised by women who were working and who ran businesses. And my grandma was on construction sites and telling people what to do and, she was truly the financial mind behind the company um, and behind our family. And so to me, I never realized that there was a barrier or there was a glass ceiling. That was not something that was in my vocabulary. And so I think that that is something pretty cool that both of them kind of showed me and my mom as well, who had always worked while being an incredible mother as well and kind of showing us from a young age that you can do it. And so, um, it wasn't a matter of thinking I needed to break some barrier or be this female-led real estate company. I didn't think that was weird, and I didn't think it was different. So, I think that that's, um, I think that that's something really valuable that those people had given me. Okay, wonderful. Yeah, going back again to family. So, uh, mm -hmm. it's great that you had those influences in your life. Um, and then the last question I have here is what's the best way for people to get in touch with you if they'd like to learn more about your company? Sure. Um, you know, if you go to our website, twinrealtyinvest.com, there is a contact me. You can find my information on there. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, and you can find me on LinkedIn as well. Certainly add me as a connection. Let me know that you heard the podcast. But I'm, my doors are open. My phone is open. I love helping other people. I um, am on quite a few different committees. I run, um, I'm the co-chair for the ULI Ready program, which is the Real Estate Diversity Initiative. So we run a series of classes all about teaching real estate development to women and minorities. It's an incredible pro program for anybody that's interested in development. So ULI has two programs. They have one called Building a Foundation and then one called Ready. Building a Foundation is for people that have zero experience in real estate development. And then Ready is for people with a few more years. So I just want to put in a quick plug for those two programs for people who are just learning and wanting to maybe cut their teeth in development as well. Is there, a, me through ULI. Is there a website for that? or? I think it's ulimn.com okay. for Minnesota ULI or just Google ULI Minnesota. Um, it's an incredible organization as well. I think ULI has, um, they're my favorite for education. I think they just have top-notch education. So okay. the Ready program is a really neat one if you fit that category of being a woman or a person of color. Really, really cool program. Okay. Wonderful. Well, I hope that uh, the audience does take you up on the offer to connect and Obviously, you've got a lot of experience to to share and appreciate your your mindset of of being willing to share your experiences. So and with that, Absolutely. Um, thank you. Thanks for your time. This is fun. Yeah, wonderful. Um, to our audience, briefly, if you got anything out of this conversation, please let us know. Uh, you can comment on the YouTube video. You can give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and that when you do that, it really helps the show to be, you know, 
discoverable to other people. Um, also, of course, you could share it out on social media. So we appreciate you tuning in. Kara, uh, again, thank you for coming on the show. And yeah, thank you. This is great. And I uh, wish I you all to the... hear from some of you guys, too. If you have any questions or um, I can provide any guidance to you. Wonderful. Well, thanks so much. We are going to wrap things up here. Take care and stay well. Thank you. The opinions shared on this show are for informational purposes only and should not be taken as a solicitation for representation or investment in any specific offering. Please consult with your financial, legal, tax, and real estate advisor before making any investment decisions. John Stiles is a licensed Minnesota real estate agent with Bridge Realty. Thanks for tuning in to Maximizing Your Property Value, the apartment owner's guide to operating rental properties as a successful business. If you're considering scaling up, downsizing, or right-sizing your real estate investment portfolio, it's important to know how to determine your property's value in today's market. That's why I've put together a free ebook for you called How to Calculate Your Investment Property's Value. To get your copy, go to www.realestatestyles.com forward slash value. Now, if you found any value in today's show, be sure to subscribe to our email newsletter, YouTube channel, and podcast through your favorite podcast player. All the links are in the show notes. And would you do me a big favor? Help me get the word out about this show by sharing with your friends on Facebook and LinkedIn. And lastly, we appreciate your five-star rating on iTunes. I really appreciate you and wish you the best in your real estate investing career. Signing off, I'm John Stiles with Bridge Realty. Make it a great day.